Lord, we come before you and we just bow the knee. We worship you because you are God. You are holy, holy, holy. And Lord, we know that you are the God of creation. We know that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We know that without you, Lord, we would not know what love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are. And so we just thank you so much, Lord, that you have given us eyes to see and ears to hear. And as we come into this lesson today, we just pray that we can have a better understanding of your sovereignty in salvation of unbelievers. And that we can see that because of your sovereignty, that, Lord, our only responsibility is to broadcast the gospel of Jesus Christ and just to be faithful in doing that. So, Lord, please help us today. Help me as I teach that I can do it well and just enable the Holy Spirit to speak through me. So I pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. All right. How are you all doing? Now, I'm going to make a special request. You know, you know what I'm going to ask. <laughs> so if you are in the outers, go ahead and come on to the inner. That way it's easier to, uh, be, yes, to address people and for individuals to ask questions. So, all right. Here are the notes for today's class. Tori's gone. No, no, that's my fault for being late. You had issues with the printer? Oh, nursery. Oh, nursery issues. You know, why can't those kids take care of their own issues? Really? Come on now. Gee. All right. So last week, we were looking at exclusively what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And this week, we're asking, asking the question, is salvation something that we are responsible for seeing come in others? Or is it actually God who is the one who does it? Now, here is the thing. Most of us, I think all of us for the most part in here, believe in the doctrines of grace. And the doctrines of grace are that, um, that God is sovereign in everything. He not only uh, brings about the ends, but he also is responsible for the means. And he's instrumental in all of those things. It's almost like he is the, the main person. Has, has anyone ever seen the process that individuals will go through in making a large, like a Persian rug? Have you, anyone ever seen this process? Okay, it's incredible because what happens is you have these individuals that are working with a loom that is literally probably about 10 foot wide, 10 to 12 foot wide. But then what ends up happening is you have someone who is actually about 10 to 15 foot above 
and they're the ones that are directing each piece of wool fabric that goes through because he's the one that because of his perspective his vantage point he's able to actually see the development of the colors he's able to see the design he's able to see all of these things the individuals on the ground they can't because of where they're at and that's exactly what happens with god is that he is not only coming and um responsible for the end of all time and the judgment of all of humanity but he's also actively involved in the means that occur in individuals lives and that's why i love it when i heard this uh for the first time from a speaker he says god is the one who writes the best stories if you get frustrated with the lord because of difficulties that you are experiencing in your life just wait because he is going to take certain difficulties and turn them around do we believe romans 8 28 you know do we believe that so let's go ahead and look at god's sovereignty and also what is humanity's responsibility all right and I know that some of you are saying, wait, pff, Doug, you just got done taking five minutes telling me about how God doesn't just do the end, but the means. How is it that we have a responsibility? Well, then I'll answer that if you will answer me. How is Jesus Christ 100% God and 100% man? Or... How is it that, well, it, it, this is pretty much the same question. How is it that an unbeliever will have to be changed for them to come to salvation, but yet they are still to seek after God? How does that work? I mean, we know that individuals come to salvation because God the Father has ordained it he has ordained it jesus christ accomplished what was needed for forgiveness to be given and then god the father will send the holy spirit at the right moment and will give them a new heart and a new mind and for the first time they will have eyes to see and ears to hear and they are a new creation how is it then that we are to tell people, repent? Well, we do that because we don't understand how there is a 100% responsibility on the unbeliever, and yet there is also a 100% effort that comes from God. It's, it's some of those mysteries about God. It's almost like, God has like these little coins throughout Scripture. On one side, he's 100% God. Jesus Christ is 100% God. And on the other side, he's 100% man. How? Why? I know why, but I don't know how. And so we accept these things because we recognize that these things are found in the Scriptures. 
And because they're found in the scriptures, we are going to believe them. All right? So, we're, we're going to start off with Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. And that's the very first verse at the top of the page. Even as he, God the Father, chose us in him, Jesus Christ, before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to his purpose or his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Man, we could take a full day just to go over that verse. But when it comes down to it, what is this verse saying to us? Well, it's telling us that God has created this wonderful plan that actually started before creation. Before creation, that he chose some to go ahead. Pardon me. My wife and my kids have been counseling me that there are certain fillers that I use (laughs) that I need to sort of reduce. And go ahead is one of them. And so... I was like going, okay, would it be good if I ask everyone, if you hear me say, go ahead, I'll go ahead and put like a quarter in a bucket and you guys get the money at the end. Um, (laughs) No, that would be too distracting. But if you, yeah, I'll go ahead. Um, But if you hear me say that, just go, just to let me know. I'm trying to work on this. All right. I don't, I want to be a better speaker for for you and for God's glory. So, what we see in here is the Father chose Christ. And Christ, he was chosen even before the foundations of the earth. He was a part of that master plan, that story that he was going to tell. And he knew that he needed Christ to do these things because of what humanity would do. And that would be to go against God and his command. And once that happened, that started everything. Now all of a sudden, and all of a sudden is the other one. Go ahead and all of a sudden. So (laughs) now God ends up, all of his creation is now cursed. It is now covered by the sin. And what ends up happening is that he tells humanity, don't worry, I've got a plan for you. I have a way for this relationship that has been broken to be reunited, to be bonded again. And that's what this verse is talking about. We end up, he predestined us, he chose us, he elected us, and that through that election, we eventually will be adopted we will be brought into his family, even though we don't deserve it. There is nothing about us that is deserving of the adoption. There is nothing wonderful or beautiful about us, but yet he adopts us because of his love for us. So, and then it says here that according to the purpose of his will, 
Why is he doing this? Why does God adopt us? To the praise of his glorious grace. How would we know what grace is unless God goes through this process? How would we understand how glorious it is that Christ sacrificed his own life, that even though he was at the right hand of God the Father and he had the exact same nature as God, never created himself, and he put on humanity and allowed himself to be tempted and to go through the difficulties and eventually to face the full wrath of God for those. What a glorious and beautiful thing. All right, so we're going to cover three different things today. Number one, we're going to look at God's sovereignty in salvation, man's responsibility in evangelism, and then we'll finish up with some implications. Or we could even say some, some applications. All right, so let's start off with God's sovereignty and salvation. Within God's sovereignty, I think that we see three different things. That number one, that God foreknew those he chooses to give the gift of salvation. Number two, God has predestined those whom he has chosen to receive salvation. All right? And then the last one is God's sovereignty calls sinners by opening their hearts through regeneration to believe the gospel. So he actually goes through the process of changing them, changing them so that they can finally do what is called of every believer, and that is repent and believe. You would not be able to do that unless God enabled you from the very beginning. All right. So, for God foreknew those he chose to give the gift of salvation. Let's turn and let's look at a couple proof texts. Now, understand that these are not the full amount of proof texts for these things. There are, that was, how many of you have ever had this experience? Once, shortly after you came to the realization of the gospel, uh, the uh, um, doctrines of grace, and or as some people would put it, Calvinism. How many of you, after that happened, as you would read through the scriptures, you would find yourself going, <gasps> there it is again. And then you'd go a little bit further and you, what? There it is again. And it happened again and again and again. It was like, oh my goodness, how was I so blind? And not seeing this before, why is it that I had to come to this point of like totally? And I can remember the day when the Lord enabled me to understand or at least accept the doctrines of grace. And I had been going through the scriptures. I'd been looking at these things. I had a friend who was saying, hey, I really think that you should listen to John Piper's um, his training on tulip and he he said the thing that i love about it is he went to his alma mater to train this in the chapel 
And his alma mater had changed from being ones that supported the doctrines of grace when he was there to now not supporting it. And so all of the seminary students were pretty much against uh, John Piper. But what he did, and I thought this was so great, is he took all of their scriptures that they would use for their defense, and he would show that literally, if not in the same chapter, in the same book, there were scriptures that contradicted what they believed. Basically saying, no, this isn't the totality. What is being said here applies to this. But here is what God does. Here is how he is in control and how he is sovereign. And I wrestled and wrestled. And then that one day, I was actually out on Las Vegas Boulevard sharing the gospel with someone. And as I was speaking, it just hit me. It's like the Holy Spirit enabled me to understand that God was in control. And in that moment, it felt like the entire universe expanded a hundredfold. And I was like, whoa. I, all of a sudden, felt so minuscule, so tiny. And God seemed so immense, so incredible. And I was so encouraged at that moment to keep on sharing the gospel because of how great and magnificent and huge he is. All right. So God foreknew those he chooses to give the gift of salvation. In Jeremiah 1.5, we see how God was responsible for helping Jeremiah to be a prophet. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So what we see is in this scripture is that God is not just a part of the, the ends, but he is actually a part of the means. He knew Jeremiah. He knew him before he was actually formed. He knew him before he was um, the, created within his, his mother's womb. He knew him and he also had plans for him. And do you guys believe that? Do you believe that God has plans for your life? That he is using you as an instrument for the sake of individuals not only to come to faith, but to be encouraged in their faith, to go to support individuals through difficulties, to help them draw closer to God? Absolutely. I, I do. And if you don't, then begin praying about that. Begin praying, Lord, what is it that you want me to do for the sake of others? How do you want, how can I help people to see your glory? How can I help people to see your name as being powerful, the greatest name ever spoken? How can I do that for your glory and your honor? Lord, please. I'm yours. Do with me whatever you want. Just don't send me. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. All right, next verse. 
Romans 8, 29 through 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. I love that. What, what do they sometimes call verse 30? What's that? Huh? The golden chain of redemption. It goes through and shows you sort of like the transitions between when God first foreknew and when he predestined. He determined. What does predestined mean? He foreknew. I know that this is going to happen. I know that you know, uh, Caleb is going to come to faith. He is going to be blessed by living in a Christian home, and he's going to have an incredible mother and a wonderful, sweet brother. Well, two brothers, right? And I, he is going to be blessed, and he's going to come to faith. I've predestined this to happen. Right. He, it's going back to the means actually being a part of it. All right. And then with the predestined, he also called. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. He would desire for everyone to come to salvation, but if everyone were to come to salvation, what that would mean is that we would not have the understanding of the glory in his wrath. One of the things that we see is that God's wrath, one day when it is seen, we're going to see another part of his glory. We're going to see him to provide that. And so if, so in a sense, that means that, no, not all of us are going to come to faith. He, he doesn't desire for anyone to not come to faith. But that no, no one can come to faith unless he calls them. And the only way that they are going to be called is if he predestined them to be called. Well, what if it's like someone that never believed in God and like started praying and stuff and wanted to but didn't understand? Go a little bit more into that question. A murderer in prison. Okay. That was an atheist. Mm-hmm. And now he started reading the Bible. All right. And now he wants to be saved. Mm-hmm. What about something like that? I I think that the Lord has probably ordained or or predestined some individuals in that very same situation. Also, oh, like in that situation, maybe he was an atheist up until that. Mm-hmm. Point. 
Mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. I get it. I mean, we look at, what is it, uh, Berkowitz, son of Sam? Yeah. And if you li listen to his testimony, one of the most powerful testimonies. He literally created havoc in the city of New York when he was going around with his 44 shooting people, 44 or 45 shooting people. And by the grace of God, he is now saved. And you listen to his testimony and he says, number one, I could see where the devil was just pulling the strings. He was totally controlling me. But God gave me the ability or the recognition that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the only way to salvation. And so now when they say, would you, now are you saying this so that one day you hope to be released? And he's like, absolutely not. I know for sure that God has enabled me to do this ministry in prison because the majority of the population, they never will be, have a chance to come here. I have the opportunity to meet them and to sh introduce them to Jesus Christ and who God is. Was that part of God's master plan? Is that actually, in a way, an incredible story? Absolutely. Um, this might help a little bit. In Romans it says, whoever, and that means whoever, anyone, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter if you've been a murderer, if you've been an atheist, yep. but God is the one who puts that desire and changes that person's heart to want God. Mm -hmm. Because before God does that, we don't want God. You know, we don't love God. We don't want him. We like our sin. So whoever Amen. in the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. But God does it first. Mm -hmm. oh, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, Matthew where Christ is saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, Lord. to the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father with heaven. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. and, uh, to be able to help you distinguish because there are many professing Christians that aren't actually truly saved. Oh, yeah. And also, Doug, uh, with like predestination, I believe that's a topic that has to be carefully explained. Because, uh, like, right, Pastor Corey? I just thought everyone, like, God gave everyone free will. Choose to Perfect. believe they can. If they don't, they don't. The way that I have attempted to explain this to my kids and to others is that you do have a will. All right. You have a will, and it, we can use the word free, but I think that that's misleading. Yeah. Because ultimately, what happens is our will is affected by either the fact that we are still in our sin. And remember what Jesus kept on saying throughout the Gospels. He says, let him who has ears to hear and eyes to see. Right? Those individuals, and he tells the disciples, you have been given this, but the people who are hearing, they have not. All right? Why were they unable? Is because they had not been given eternal life. They had not been physically changed and a new nature because when we are born, we are born into a sin nature. We have the stain of sin upon us that is passed down from our parents. 
And then when you are a born again believer, you have a new nature. Now that nature has eyes to see and ears to hear. That nature desires to do the will of God. But this, and, and this is this side, they don't have the desire to always do the will of God. They very well, I mean, I thought I was a Christian at the age of seven, but it wasn't until I was 29. But did I stay in the church? And on the day that the Lord saved me, I was getting ready to teach Sunday school. How crazy is that? An unbeliever teaching Sunday school. But the reason why is because I had not been changed. I had not recognized that my sin was worthy of hell. And in that moment that morning, when the Lord just turned my world upside down, I knew, I knew I was going to hell. And for the first time in my life, I cried out to God, Lord, if you do not save me, I am doomed. <sighs> By the grace of God. So, ultimately, I hope this makes sense. There are two different natures. One nature, you do not have the ability to choose God and to do His will. You can come close. You can try to be a very moral individual, but you will not because you still have a sin nature. But that sin nature needs to be removed so now that you have, you now have a alive spirit. Your spirit has been revived. It once was dead, but now it's been revived. And because of that, now you are able to go to Christ. Now you're able to do His will. Now you are able to be pleasing to Him. We can't be pleasing to God when we're still in our sin nature because everything that we do, we really do for our own vainglory. We just do it because we want people to think that we're really good. But over here, it's not about doing good for our own vainglory. It's because we have a glorious Savior who saved us from our sin. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. 1 Peter 1, 1 through 2, and then verse 20. Peter, apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect, exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. All right. So we see in that very first or the second sentence, um, the elect. All right. When you go to vote during an election, what are you doing? You're making a choice. All right. What that means is, is that there was a period of time when God made a choice. Did he make a choice because of anything that you were going to do? No, because you ultimately would have just remained in your sin. No, he made a choice to save you because of love. Even though up until the point of salvation, you did horrible, wicked corrupt things towards God. 
you had no desire for him. You, you loved yourself, and let's be honest, you probably loved your sin. But yet he still died for you while you were yet a sinner. That's the beauty of the gospel. And that's what we should be evangelizing about. All right? And we see the foreknowledge of God the Father. The, he foreknew before the foundation of the world. What was it God foreknew? He foreknew that Christ would be the one that in the last times he would manifest him, he would be manifested to accomplish what we as human beings are unable to accomplish, and that is to obey God's law perfectly. All right, number two, God has predestined those whom he has chosen to receive salvation. All right, next week we're going to be covering um, did Jesus ever talk about evangelism in the parables? And I'll actually bring up a parable today. Who knows the parable of the sower? Okay, so we have an individual who has seed. What does this individual do? He broadcasts it, right? And that's, isn't that what we do in evangelism? We take and we broadcast the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who would listen. Now, some of those seeds, they fall on the hardened path. All right? What, who would that be similar to? Hmm? Not the evangelist. An, a non-believer, probably an atheist. Because what's happened is, it, it says, Jesus, when he's given the explanation, he says that the seed, before it can even take root, all of a sudden, it's snatched away so that they will not believe. Now you have the seed that falls down into the rocky soil. And what ends up happening is that seed germinates, but then all of a sudden it dies. Why does it die? Because the roots were unable to go very low. All right? Then you have those where it falls into the weeds. Oh, I feel like I fall into the weeds all the time, but, um, but it falls into the weeds. And with them, the, they can't get the sunlight. And they die as well. But for those that fall on good soil, good soil, they produce, was it 30, 60, 100-fold, right? And that's what we, as believers, Hope and pray, Lord, please help me be that obedient child who is able to share so that we see 30, 60, 100-fold come to salvation. Now here's the question. Does the, in this parable, does the broadcaster, does the evangelist, do they do anything with the soil? Who is in charge of the soil? God. God. This is an evidence of the, the fact that God is the one who is involved in those who choose and receive salvation. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 3.6. It says, I planted, this was the Apostle Paul, Apollos watered, but who gives the growth? God gives the growth. 
And this, to me, is comforting. We'll get into this in the last section. This is the comfort. I do not have to make sure individuals grow. In fact, I would caution you that you need to have a true understanding of the theory locus of control. Do you know what that is? All right, I'm not going to go into the full explanation um, now, but locus of control is something that we in the social work field are recommended that we utilize because if you think that all the things that you're going to tell your clients or all the things that you are trying to help individuals, everyone's need, everyone's need, if you think that you are responsible for meeting everyone's need, you are going to burn yourself out. So locus of control says there are only two things that you have control over, your attitude and your actions. Apart from that, you can't change anything. Husbands, are you able to change your wives? No. By the grace of God, right? And wives, are you able to change your strong-headed husbands? Nope. <laughs> you said that way too loud. Come on now. <laughs> so, so anyway, so let's go to 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. And this should be one of our encouragements when it comes to evangelism. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Who is, who is the one that gives us repentance? God. God. Second Corinthians 7.10 Godly sorrow brings repentance. Where do you get godly sorrow from? God. All right. Ephesians 1, 5 and 11. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, of God's will. In Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. All of this is for God's glory. What is history? It's God's story. His story. How He is working in every one of your lives. It's part of His story. It's part of... In eternity, we are going to delight over the goodness of God that He took moving through each of our lives. We're going to recognize incredible things that he has done. There will be even moments when someone will come up and they'll say, do you realize because of what you did on this day, that was the moment that God used for me to come to salvation. And we'll have no clue. No clue. Man, I look forward to heaven. All right. Number three, God's sovereignty calls sinners 
by opening their hearts through regeneration to believe the gospel. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. How are we to come to God? Who draws us to him? God. God is the one who draws. Acts 16, 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. How did she hear the gospel that came from Paul? What's it say here? The Lord opened her heart. The Lord, at the moment of your salvation, the Lord opened your heart so that you could hear and believe. All right. Man's responsibility. So, are we supposed to be like the uh, Calvinist, the ultra-Calvinistic individuals and say, well, if God is the one who's going to call and He's going to for or predestined and he's going to do all these things well what do i have to do why can't i just stay at home and play my nintendo (laughs) no you've got three responsibilities here and probably even more all right number one pray pray (laughs) i'm sorry that was bad (laughs) that was bad Colossians 4, 2-4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving at the time. Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. All right. Number one, we pray that the Lord, how many of you pray this morning that the Lord would give you an opportunity, a silver platter moment to share the gospel? How many of you did that? Lord, give me an opportunity today to preach your gospel, to speak your gospel to someone. Pray about that. Pray that he will open up doors. That's part of the whole plan. You must pray for these things. All right, next, pursue. Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what else? Teaching them, right? To follow what I have commanded of you. Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. If Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost, what should his disciples be doing? Amen. John 17, verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus is saying, I, Father, in the prayer, I have sent them now into the world. I have been a part of sharing the gospel. I've been a part of making it known to people what 
the gospel of Jesus Christ says, now I am sending them, and that includes you, if you are a believer. And then last, proclaim. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Are you working on your ministry of reconciliation? Because he gave that to us to do while we're here on earth. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All right, we've got just a couple minutes, so let's just look at the implications. All right, implications for evangelism considering God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty teaches us to fully trust in his power to save sinners. God's sovereignty teaches us to fully trust in his power. If you think that going and sharing the gospel is something that you have to do on your own strength. Number one, as the great pastor John Pretlove says, that is stupid. <laughs> and yes, Brother Corey, I did say stupid. Um, for, that's also for you, man. But no, it's stupid if you think that you're going to do this on your own. It is only through the work and the ability and the power of the Holy Spirit are you able to do this. All right. Number two, God's sovereignty reminds us that we should have limited fear in evangelism. Will we stop having fear? No. Why? Because we saw that the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, had fear and much trembling when he went to them in Corinth. I'm sure he had that, and we all have that. Why? Because when we experience that fear, it means that we have to show our faith in the Lord. And we wait then upon the Holy Spirit to suck out that fear and to fill us with joy as we share the gospel. And then the last one, God's sovereignty should encourage faithful evangelism, not serve as an excuse to neglect it. He has given us all a ministry of reconciliation. He is the one who brings them to salvation. He is the one who calls them to believe. We are just the instruments that he uses to proclaim it. That's all we got to do. We just got to proclaim it. 
Some people are not going to like us when we proclaim it. But there will be some that, by the grace of God, we, they will come to faith. And we can glorify in the Lord that he has used us. And now, like the Apostle Paul would say of Timothy, that you are my son. How much I desire to see sons and daughters of the Lord that have come to salvation through me being used as the instrument. That's all for his glory, though. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this today. I just pray that I have made this clear, how you are sovereign in salvation, but we still have a responsibility. Lord, help us with this ministry of reconciliation. Help us to pray every day and without ceasing for opportunities to be open, for those silver platter moments when we have the ability to share and to see individuals come to salvation. Lord, just prepare our hearts and minds for next week's lesson. Thank you so much for Jesus Christ and how glorious he is. Just pray this in your son's name. Amen.